We definitely get some beautiful readings today on this solemnity of Christ the King. And the second reading is from the beginning of the book of Revelation. And I know a lot of times Revelation can kind of be a little bit of an intimidating book of sacred scripture, you know, right there at the conclusion of the entirety of the New Testament at the end of the Bible. And with its symbolic language and things like that, it could just, you know, sometimes we kind of stay away from it. But ultimately, it's proclaiming the profound and fundamental love of Christ. And you can see that in these opening lines today that I think we hear so often in so many different ways that they can almost just kind of go like right over our heads, right? So listen to these words. You know, Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and ruler of the kings of the earth. Listen to this. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Now, I know sometimes like to throw out there, Jesus loves you. It's like, okay, think about like a Hallmark card and we just kind of move on to the next thing, but it is profound. And to go from that immediately into and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And I just want to spend a little bit of time this morning reflecting on how profound it is that he loves us and has come to free us from our sins. Because I think we know that sin is terrible, but I think especially as we look at original sin and what the church teaches about it and what it means that he has come in this way to free us, it begins to change everything in our lives. And when I talk about original sin, you know, we're blessed here at Sacred Heart. We have a lot of baptisms. You know, we did that annual report a couple weeks ago. And in the fiscal year of 2020 to 2021, we had 84 baptisms, which is pretty awesome when you think about it. Um, The deacon and I stay pretty busy. Our arms are, you know, we're getting a good workout. It's fantastic. But as I often bring up, I just had a baptism on Friday, for example, little Gemma. Cute as can be, you know, newborn little girl. It's wonderful. I'll tell you what, little Gemma, she's not stolen any cars. She's not murdered anybody. She's not even talking back to her parents yet, right? So like, what's the deal? Why do we have to do this, you know? What the church teaches about original sin you know, it's, it's not that it's a committed sin, it's a contracted sin. Our first parents who were in the garden, you know, all the way back there at the beginning of Genesis, so you get to chapter three, things are great, right? You know, they're in, in union with him, loving creation, loving one another, but the problem is the relationship breaks down. When they turn their back on God, they doubt his goodness, they're disobedient to him, there is a breakdown. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, we have inherited that. It may not be our fault, but it is our problem. As I often like to mention at baptisms, like, you know, little Gemma, she didn't do anything wrong, but she has contracted the sin. Just like my mother's father, my grandpa O'Brien, who I'm convinced is a saint, was bald as the day is long. And therefore, my brothers and I, we don't get to hold on to our hair. I'm the oldest. I've gotten to hold on to it the longest, and I'm grateful for that. However, you know, once again, it's not my fault that I'm going bald, but it is my problem, right? And we inherit these things. Even if we were not the ones to make this happen, it's come to us, right? And when you look at the effects of original sin, what it does to us, how we're supposed to move forward, 
You know, there's always a lot of like extremes throughout the history of the church, different ways that these things get interpreted. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church deals with this, especially beginning at paragraph 402. It really moves into it in defining some of the extremes at paragraph 406. And I want to kind of hit on both of those today. So with paragraph 406, it talks about Pelagianism and also some of the extremes at the time of the Protestant Reformation. This is how this paragraph begins. The church's teaching on the transmission of original sin was articulated more precisely in the fifth century, especially under the impulse of St. Augustine's reflections against Pelagianism and in the 16th century in opposition to the Protestant Reformation. So Pelagius, for whom Pelagianism is named, held that man could, by the natural power of free will, and without the necessary help of God's grace, lead a morally good life. So what that means is, is that basically at the end of the day, we're all basically fine. We can do this on our own. Yes, we live in a fallen world, but you know what? I can handle it. It's like, you know what? Thanks, Jesus, for coming. I'm doing okay. I'm going to get over this garbage that I'm dealing with. I'm going to be fine on my own, basically. So it boils down to, like, we can do this. We're going to earn our way into heaven on our own. It just isn't the case. For anybody who's ever tried to kick a bad habit, you know that white-knuckling it just isn't going to do it, right? I mean, I know I give this example many times. It's because I'm an idiot, and I keep falling into it myself. Last night, I was tired. I should have gone to bed. I watched some stupid cooking video on YouTube, and I was literally falling asleep. What would have been best for me? Shut off the darn phone, lay down and go to sleep, but yet I needed to know how to make popcorn better, which I don't even ever eat. Why do I keep falling into this, right? But I do because I can't pick myself up and stop wasting time watching YouTube videos. And the problem is, if we look at original sin this way, so the catechism says, Pelagius thus reduced the influence of Adam's fault to a bad example. So it's like, okay, everybody, don't imitate Adam, and we'll be just fine. But that's not the case. We can't do it on our own. We need something more. Now, there is an opposite extreme. Catechism continues. The first Protestant reformers, on the contrary, taught that that original sin has radically perverted man and destroyed his freedom. They identified the sin inherited by each man with the tendency to evil, which which would be insurmountable. So, total depravity. Basically, we got no hope. We're terrible. Everything is bad. We're not going to get out of this. And Jesus came to just cover over that. In fact, one of the phrases of the Protestant reformers, and I'm cleaning it up a bit, is that all of us here, we are snow-covered piles of dung. That's what they said, right? That ultimately, we're not getting out of our dung-like state, so Jesus comes and just kind of covers us over, right? So that when God looks at us, he doesn't look at how, for lack of a better phrase, crappy we are, but he looks at the snow of the love of Jesus, which means that there's no hope of us actually getting out of that state, that we're just kind of covered over. It's like, oh, don't look at that. It's not going to change. Folks, it's so much better than that. I love this example from one of my priest friends. He was at a retreat house. It's kind of out in the country, and he went for a run in the area. Now, the, they were out in the country, no sidewalks. He's on the shoulder, which is a decent-sized shoulder, And it was the winter time, he's running along, and a Suburban comes driving by, 
and clipped him with the side view mirror, and he falls over, right? And he said that he's embarrassed to tell the story, but it didn't feel good. He fell down, and he let the driver, who happened to be drinking coffee and talking on the phone and driving like this as he sees her going by, he said he let her know that he thought she was number one with the wrong finger. However, she didn't even notice because he was wearing mittens, so he could have been waving, right? It's the same sort of thing. Like, Jesus has come to cover it over, but not to actually lift us up to something more, to convert the heart, to find a way to deal with that in a better way than just waving the wrong way, right? Our Lord doesn't just cover over our issues. He loves us too much for that. We love the phrase, you know, got to meet people where they are. Absolutely. But to love them enough not to leave them there. And therein is the glory of Christ the King. He comes to us. He knows our fallen state. As we hear in the book of Revelation, that he who loves us has freed us from our sins by his blood. When we heard in the opening prayer about that freedom from slavery, that we're not just getting it covered over, and we're also not just stuck in this, hey, I'm going to handle myself because I'm a good person. Well, if anybody's ever done an examination of conscience, they know. You're not just a good person. We all fall. We have concupiscence. As people like to say when they're being kind about someone else, oh, he's a mess. Yes, we're all a mess. But Jesus Christ, the one who comes on the cloud, the Alpha and the Omega, who is the king of the universe, who has the power and the love and the majesty to make a difference, also has the will and the love to make that difference in your hearts and in mine. And when you look at the humility of him in the gospel today, from the passion, here's Pontius Pilate, right? One of many politicians, leaders, you know, governors throughout the ages who rules by force, which eventually falls apart, which just leads to more and more war and conflict and all this. Yes, authority is important. However, it's not just about that, not just about worldly authority. And what is Jesus doing, even in the midst being humble and allowing himself to be interviewed by this man, he turns it on Pilate, tries to make him take some ownership. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, imagine him looking at him and loving him. Do you say this on your own or have others told you about me? Trying to make it personal, drawing Pilate out, but he only goes to the politics. I'm not a Jew, am I? They handed you over. He doesn't allow for the truth to enter into his heart. And in fact, Kind of disappointed in the editors for the lectionary. They cut it off just a little too early. When Jesus says, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice, Pilate's response is that quick, pithy, cynical, terrible response, what is truth? And I think therein lies the scary part on the solemnity of Christ the King. The truth has come to us. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the one who has the power, the love, the will to enter into this and lift us up out of our sins, to convert us at the very core of our being, to allow us not just to be free from sin, but to be free for love, free for excellence, not just to be the selfish mess that we find ourselves in, But he loves us so much to enter into this, to lead us into the way, the truth, and the life that is communion with him and one another. But as Pilate shows, the only thing that he's not going to do is knock down the door of your heart and force his way in. 
The king of the universe wants to be king of your heart, but he's not going to force it. You've got to allow him in. And once again, to think about that love, to think about the ultimate power that he has to save us from the mess that we are, and the fact that he wants to do it, all he asks for is our love in return, to invite the king of the universe in. He who is the alpha and the omega wants to be a part of your life. In this very mess, he gives us his body, blood, soul, and divinity for the forgiveness of sins, to remove us from that fallen state, to draw us deeper and deeper into communion with him. Not just coming to say, guys are doing great, have a good one. No. And not to say, you're all terrible, I'm just going to kind of cover you over. No. He loves us so much more than that and wants to be in the very depths of your heart. My brothers and sisters in Christ, on the solemnity of Christ the King, as we receive him in the Eucharist, as we get to say those words, amen, as we hear the body of Christ, let's ask for that grace to allow him to come in, to heal us from our sinfulness, and to be able to proclaim the fact that his love is real and true and is here to save us all and to proclaim that grace to a whole world that needs it so desperately. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.